0: Welcome to The Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's Wednesday, June 7th, 2023, and Dr. Rick and I are coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama, and we are so grateful today on The Defender Podcast that we literally are able to come and celebrate not just a victory, but literally an anniversary of the Dobbs decision, which in our country placed the decision for life back on states. And it also made 24 states restrictions or bans on abortion legal in the United States of America. And so what Dr. Rick and I want to do is just Go back and revisit that landmark decision, what it means for life in our country, but also kind of give you an update on what it means for our advocacy for women and children. And I hope what you will come away with uh, after this episode is not just a celebration of what the Lord has done over the last year, not just a celebration that the Dobbs case was, was overturned. But actually, and not to pour water on that excitement, I hope what we walk away with is an urgent conviction to say, hey, not a lot has changed in the hearts and the minds of people in a year. And if we're going to win the fight for life, it's got to be in the hearts and the minds of people, which means We've got to be more engaged on behalf of women. Our pro-life advocacy has got to change from the courtroom and from the halls of Congress, state, local, and national. And it's got to start in tangible expressions of ministry and love and compassion for women and children. You see, beloved, there are so many children, even in the last year, that have been born. Children that have been born in, in some of these 23 to 24 states that have restrictions or bans on abortion. The question is, what are we doing for these lives a year later? Are we caring for those women? Are we caring for those children? What are we doing to engage with them? Well, before I bring on the venerable Doctor Rick, uh, I do want to remind you of stand for orphans because that's really what we're saying now is we got to take a stand for the vulnerable. We got to take a stand for orphans. We got to take a stand for the fatherless. We got to take a stand for the vulnerable woman. And stand for orphans is one of the ways that you and your family over the summer can show that you're willing not just to take a physical stand, but you're willing to take a financial stand to help a tangible ministry for orphans, vulnerable children and uh, vulnerable women. And so with summertime, it's a great time to show kids that they can make a difference in the world. Stand for Orphans is our kid initiated, kid run opportunity to use creativity and time to support vulnerable kids around the globe and here at home in the United States. Children can make lemonade, bake cookies or do crafts and then sell those crafts, lemonade and cookies and use those resources resources to give to vulnerable children, orphans and vulnerable women. There's no limit and it allows our children to have creativity and the ability to use those talents, their skills and their interests and their gifts to support another. So what better way this summer than to teach your children how to be generous, how to come alongside and care for those that are vulnerable and Lord willing, our heart is not only will stand for orphans, raise the resources needed to support vulnerable children and orphans through lifelines ministry. But more than that, it will begin to sow a seed in the hearts of our children that say we can't be apathetic towards life. We can't sit on the sidelines of life, but we have to take a stand for life and show that it's valuable because ultimately it's made in the image of God. So you can see our show notes uh, on whatever podcatcher uh, app you use or visit lifelinechild.org backslash stand. And yes, Today there's no dash, lifelinechild.org backslash stand for more information and for free resources. Well, as you know, this is the time of the podcast that people love. I know when Dr. Rick is not on the podcast because he's away or he can't join. We get the we get the notes that people miss the venerable Dr. Rick. You love to hear him, you love to hear him, you love to call him Doc. Dr. Rick, welcome in. Much to celebrate, but also. Really, much to look forward to. Absolutely, you know,
1: I I, th- I think that I was actually reflecting before we sat down to to come in and talk today about a year ago today, <laughs> uh, two weeks out from the decision and the the anticipation and the things that were swirling around and and I I remember distinctly that. Um, that there was a point where, uh, we were prepared <laughs> to, 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 for what might happen for what might could be. Um, but we weren't assured and, and didn't really know what the court was going to do or, or what was, you know, what was going to happen. And, and then, um, you know the the day came when the opinion was read and i remember early that morning you know you and i were in the office and um when the opinion was read running back and forth between uh you know between our offices and mm-hmm. and watching that and i think the you know the seismic shift that took place in america with with that decision um is it was pretty incredible but you know, Herbie, I I really believe that we are today facing perhaps a greater challenge mm. than than we were prior to the Dobbs decision. I think the complexity of of the the state picture that we see, the fact that we have 24 states where mm. abortion is illegal or is is at least um halted at this point or severely uh, severely limited man the the truth is that it felt a whole lot more like we were fighting a common enemy in the pro life movement prior to the decision than today mm-hmm. um and you know and i know we're going to spend some time you know talking about that and and kind of exploring it but it has it has just struck me that as as the fight has gotten harder um honestly i feel like in a lot of circles that um, that the conversation has gotten fainter, mm. <laughs> mm. and that you know that while we 've talked a lot about the implications for you know the vulnerability of women and for vulnerable children that are a result of the the decision and what we believe is the rightness of the decision, the truth is the conversation mm. about abortion, the conversation about life, the conversation about the need to protect life has gotten fainter and fainter and fainter and I'm afraid, bro, that it is it's in the church where the conversation has at
0: times become the most faint. Well, I mean, I and I know that's something you and I've talked about not just over the last year, but mm-hmm. but really for a long time. Right. is the church dropped the ball on the pro-life matter yep. by making it a political agenda. 100%. And I know this is going to be for those that are listening, for you, it's not going to be <laughs> controversial because you've heard it, me say it more times than you care to think. The truth of the matter is, both political parties have used this to their advantage, right? Now, and pre-Dobbs and now post-Dobbs, right? right? Uh, Pre-Dobbs, you know, the Democratic Party, and I'm only speaking right now about the the life issue, have used this issue as a stalking point to say, well, the right don't care about women, right? And and they've used that on their political agenda, but. If we're going to be honest, the conservatives have used this to get elected. Right. And and I believe, and I'm not naming names, I believe there's some Republicans that actually hoped this day would never happen, Mm -hmm. that Roe would be overturned because they've won many elections saying, I'm going to be the most pro-life candidate. And now- pro-life doesn't mean just appointing judges. Right. It doesn't just mean your vote. It means how are we really now going to tangibly care for these lives That's that have been born? That's right. Um, and so the church, you know, has got to galvanize behind this issue that we were called to care for the vulnerable. You know, and as we've talked about, there was always that triab of the most vulnerable mm-hmm. and it was the orphan, the vulnerable woman right. or widow right. you know and you and I can right. both talk about that that wasn't just that didn't just mean a lady that lost her husband right. it meant women with children in vulnerable spots right. now certainly the bible's not prescriptive so it's not going to say You know, a woman who has, uh, you know, an unexpected pregnancy. But it means a woman without a husband, a woman who has, that is vulnerable. And then, of course, the stranger and the alien. And that triad of the vulnerable has always been the responsibility of God's people to take care of. And this is not a political issue. This is a cultural Christian issue. It's a, it's a, not a cultural Christian issue. It's a culture issue, but it's a culture issue that Christians need to be speaking into. And I know you and I have even been disheartened over the last year of believers that we know well, believers that we're even yoked to in ministry, that have questioned why we speak out so much against abortion. Right. It's amazing. And I think, you know, you compound that with the fact
1: that, honestly, the only way I know to say it is people, you know, there's a tendency in some circles to go soft on Mm -hmm. the issue of Abortion and to you know to think that what we've done is good enough it's funny, and I won't disclose where, but I was in a gathering of um of pro-life leaders and people that are that are a part of th- this space, and the conversation that was on the table the day that i'm that, that I'm referring to was why are we having such a hard time getting pastors to engage mm. this issue mm And it was, it was one of those things where this was one of the best and brightest rooms. Like these were high powered, you know, people that I, that I look up to that were sitting around the table and, and there was a thought that kind of crossed my mind in it. And I thought it and I said, you know, I'm not going to say this. And then finally we just kept going around in circles and I said, you know, I'm going to really, I do believe this is true. Hmm. I think a lot of pastors are unwilling to touch this issue now because we've made it such a political issue 100%. And so they're looking out of their congregations and they're saying, "Wow, if I say if I say one thing, I'm going to offend the democratic voting people that are in my congregation. If I say something else, I'm going to offend the, you know, the republican leaning people in our congregation and and the truth is what we need to what we need to define is a biblical ethic 100%. not not a political position yeah. and and in the church we've become so embroiled in politics and it's become so you know so close to who we are that we we have trouble separating it and just thinking about you know the issue rationally and so and so therefore you have camps that are struggling with the vulnerability of women and they're struggling with the, the idea that, you know, somehow, um, somehow these women deserve, Mm. (laughs) you know, what they're, what they're getting. Mm. It's, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's their behavior that's resulted in well, yes, on some level, but man, it's, we know like it's Mm. so much more complex than that.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think too, there's a point where the church has bought into the lie that we aren't supposed to, we're not supposed to change culture or right. influence culture. And and I've even heard folks use Romans 13, like, well, government was, you know, was, was <laughs> instilled and, and we've just got to, we've got to realize that we have a different home and a different country and you use passages like first Peter chapter five to say, well, we're exiles into aliens. We don't need to, we just need to realize that the culture is going to be different and they ignore other parts of scripture. And, and they also ignore in our country that this country was founded on the idea that yes, it, did, it It wasn't a Christian nation, but it was a nation that was founded on the ethics, the values, and the morality of a Christian worldview. And all of our laws come from a Judeo-Christian worldview. And at some point, you've got to say, is life life? And we believe that it begins at conception. If it begins at conception, then we have to have laws that say you cannot take the life of the most innocent. But if we don't impact culture, then what are we doing as believers? We are left here. If if we weren't to impact culture, then the moment we came to Christ, he might as well rapture us into glory. I'm not trying to get into any end time <laughs> stuff, but you know what I mean? Like he leaves us here in order to be a fragrant aroma to let those that are perishing see the gospel of Christ Jesus, which means we have to stand up and advocate for the things that are so important at the very heart of God. Well, like the evangelism de- definition that I learned in seminary
1: was from a, a guy named Dalos Miles. And his definition of evangelism was that by the gospel, that people and structures would be converted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so what Miles was talking about is that structures should be different. The world and the way it operates should be different. It's that whole thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven how does it happen on earth unless christians are living in public spaces and 100%. unless unless we're bringing kingdom values to bear yeah. and so to to take that kind of defeatist attitude and say we're not supposed to influence culture is like that's completely a non-starter all the way all the way back to the lord's prayer right
0: oh, 100% yeah your kingdom come what does that mean? Right. Your will be done what, where on earth, earth as it is in heaven. Right. And so as the fragrant aroma, we stand up for the things that matter to the Lord, which means that we don't pick or choose our platform right. based on the platform of a political party. Now, at the same time, we may more ideologically line up with one political party or the other, but we have to go also and say there are not two... Uh, perfect political parties are one perfect and one imperfect. Right. There are two imperfect political parties that one may have a better ideology that you agree with and one may have another ideology, but you've got to call the things that are wicked and evil and wrong in both wicked and evil and wrong. Well, that's both. where
1: that kingdom citizenship thing comes in, right? Like you, you, call, you call what the king says is good, good, and you call what the king says is bad, bad. And the fact is that we have to live that way. But part of living that way is trying to represent the kingdom that we that we do inhabit
0: in the world that we do live in. A hundred percent. Well, you know, one of the things that I want to make sure that that we cover today, too, and, and we can go back and forth on this. What have we seen? You know, <laughs> right. uh, and I get asked that a lot. Yeah. Like, well, how are things changed? And, you know, you and I've even laughed because a lot of people would ask us one month after Dobbs, right. what are the changes you've seen? And it's like, not much, eh, not much yet. <laughs> um, but there have been some interesting trends yeah. that we've seen for sure even in the calls that we're getting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'll start off to say it's been interesting to realize and and to understand even the way that people receive news these days. You know, I know we're both from an ilk that we still remember getting a black and white printed paper (laughs) in the yard and and that that was the way you get your news. You know, I, I know I've talked to my kids as well about, you know, well, what happened if, if, if a score hadn't gone final of a game, it was like you waited a day day or you paid money and you called a service and you said, Hey, what happened? Uh, You know, there wasn't the idea that it was instant and instantaneous, but because of that, people have become a whole lot less patient, but they've also not become as engaged and involved. And so a lot of people read headlines and a lot of Mm -hmm. people read, you know, opinion and they, they only see the, the things are screaming at them. Right. And, Right now, the culture screaming abortion has been overturned and abortion is dead. And that's actually had a trickle down effect that we've seen women in very liberal progressive states have called us and said, uh, hey, I, I need your help. Right. So it's been interesting that we've gotten calls from literally all 50 states of women that say, I need help. We certainly have seen a higher number of women that are calling. Um and and we've seen more that are open towards adoption. I would say the most interesting thing, though, is a cultural shift. And, and I actually mean a cultural shift on the pro-life side. Mm-hmm. And I know you and I have talked about this, not on the podcast, but together. Yeah. It felt like pre-Dobbs that abortion was the absolute worst four-letter word you could ever say. Right. Truly, like right. horrible four-letter word. Right. But it almost felt like adoption was another four-letter word that sometimes is culturally acceptable, but really you should never say it. It was a secondary
1: solution, right? Like, like it, we, we want women to choose life, but man, you know, if they can't do otherwise, they can, they can choose adoption. And I think you're right. And I see where you're going. I mean, the, the conversation around adoption has been elevated on all levels, and it's, it's not just domestic infant adoption that's, that's, that, you know, that's relative to things that have happened after Dobbs. The The fact is that there's, there are, there are people that are thinking about and praying about and exploring adoption, hmm. you know, foster care adoption. Mm-hmm. There are conversations that are, that are being had now. Mm-hmm. And I think this is another one of those things where the church doesn't need to be late to the party. Mm-hmm. Um, in a place where we've got a good history and a good heritage for a couple of decades of recovering the conversation about adoption, it's time now for us to press into that. Mm. You know, that's part of what we, I mean, just bluntly, we want to do that. That's part of our ministry. That's that's how we want to help and support the church to say, as this cultural conversation has continued to you know, t- to be elevated, let's talk to Christian people about, about how to adopt. Let's talk about how to support adoptive families. Let's talk about how to have relationships with birth parents and and to, to do that for the sake of the gospel. There's a lot of ground that needs to be covered. And the truth is, just like those women mm-hmm. that you're talking about that have been reaching out to us that are saying, hey, can you explain this decision? Can you explain what's going on? Um, The fact is we need to do some explanation Mm -hmm. in in churches and in congregations about about the implications for adoption and about how that's becoming more relevant than it than it ever has. And 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 people are not getting that in. They're not getting that in the newspaper. They're not getting that on Twitter. They're not getting it in the places that that they're looking. We're going to have to be more evident about putting that conversation out if if people are going to grasp
0: it. Oh, 100 percent. And we've heard this discussion over the last 12 months, too, which on one hand, yeah, it's exciting. Mm. It's encouraging. And it is. We've been invited into a conversation even tighter because people are going, hey, you know what? adoption and family reconciliation and supporting birth families the way you guys are supporting birth families, that's the next frontier of pro-life ministry. Right. And yep. it's exciting, <laughs> except you also want to go, and it was also the frontier of pro-life ministry the, for the last 50 years, right. the last hundred years. right Heavens, we can go to Aristides of 153, where it said <laughs> the church was the place where they cared for the orphan, they cared for the widow, right. the vulnerable were cared for. And basically Acts two and Acts four, and everyone had what they needed because the church was working together. So this has been the plan and we need to go forward. And so yes, there's an excitement, you know, but there's also a saddening or a sadness that's yeah. like, why is this movement as the church, were we not ready, more ready yeah. for this? And why haven't we been encouraging this all along?
1: I think the other thing that, you know, to me is is something and maybe this is a little bit of a prophetic word or a little bit of a you know, (laughs) prophetic thought. But, but I think in this moment, as, as we're looking to step into a post-Dob's world and figure out how to be and how to function, the Christian community kind of tends to be really like we give into tribalism. Mm -hmm. And so what, what you end up seeing sometimes is that that people kind of have their preferred solution or their their like their way of of stepping in and and addressing the crisis mm-hmm. and instead of looking at it holistically and saying as the church we need to embrace all of these different ways right what we end up doing is we end up putting all our eggs in the basket of one thing and and we kind of become a little bit um negative right. in the way that we you know in the way that we champion that to the exclusion of other things and and so one of the things i would just say is that as we're thinking about how we're ministering through you know, the opportunity that's been given through Dobbs, it's, it's going to be holistically thinking about adoption. It's going to be engaging in family reconciliation. It's going to be having a, a more robust presence mm. in foster care. It's going to be, you know, all of those things. It's going to be thinking about even the way that we've worked with pregnancy resource centers mm. and those, you know, those ministries differently. hmm and I think, you know, one of the uncomfortable things that a lot of churches are are, you know, kind of coming face to face with having to to do is to realize that part of the implication of of ministering to these vulnerable women is not ministering to them over there. Mm-hmm. There's a place for us to be mm-hmm. connected to pregnancy resource centers and other places where where they may find their their way to first, but truly We've got to begin to think about how do we come alongside these women and how do we disciple them for the long haul? How do we walk with them through, you know, difficult and complex circumstances? Mm -hmm. But how do we bring the gospel to bear and how do we make the kingdom of God relevant in their lives? And and by that, I don't mean bending the gospel out of shape. I don't mean changing anything, but I do mean making it Mm -hmm. accessible to them. And you know I'm winding up for a pitch, right? like we one of the things the Lord's led us to do is to put together this thing called worthy, which is about trying to help churches to bring women in crisis close to them mm-hmm. and to be able to love them well, yes, but ultimately to be able to show them and tell them the gospel and and begin to walk the road of discipleship with them mm-hmm. and and that there may have been a time where um that was something that was really difficult socially to do but it's not today mm. <laughs> and we live in a world where where the acceptance of being able to bring people in more difficult circumstances into our churches is is you know like that's that's something that we understand on a different level and man what an incredible testimony to to be able to minister to the vulnerable with the gospel and see them not be vulnerable. Anymore. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Like see them, see them, you know, see their lives change mm-hmm. and see their circumstances change because they're living according to, um, you know, the things that, that God calls us to, but that doesn't happen mm. unless we walk with them and we teach them and we're, and we're careful and we, we don't just give them the gospel. We show them how, how to live in it.
0: That's right. Well, it, it goes back to what you and I've talked about even on this podcast, right? Our engagement can't be bite sized like everything else in our lives. Right. It has to be, you know, truly invested. Yeah. And, and that, beloved is what the kingdom of God is all about. It's not about bite-sized, you know, photographs that can be shared on Instagram or Twitter or any other social media you may have. This is real life engagement that's coming alongside of another human being and helping make a difference and saying, I'm going to be here with you. You know, it's adoption that doesn't just look like adopting a child that might be vulnerable. It's adoption that might say, I'm going to adopt this family and I'm going to come alongside of them. Families that maybe have or haven't lost their kids to foster care, families that may or may not be considering adoption, but families that are vulnerable and need your help. It also means, and I know that this is becoming such an unpopular thing to say in this culture, it means we've got to start talking about fatherhood Mm. and we've got to start talking about marriage and we've got to encourage about what does a healthy marriage look like? And it also needs to say, what, what models are we showing to our own families? How are we modeling that in our own families and how are we staying true to the things that we say that we're true to? Um, Not just because what did you do for me lately, but because I've made a vow and a commitment. Um, When our children see brokenness, they typically pattern brokenness. I know you and I have talked about this and laughed about it as well, but we've seen in our own lives the things that maybe we've picked up from others (laughs) that we go, eh. I really never wanted to pick that up. Well, everybody's had that experience,
1: right? Like, let's just call it what it is. You've heard, you've heard your parents' voice coming out of your mouth. Oh right? yeah, like you've you've had those moments where, oh, where yeah. you've you've gone, oh my goodness, I like I said, I was
0: never going to say that, or mm-hmm. I said I was never going to do that, and then here I am, here I am. Or even worse is when you hear your child saying something oh. that you said I was never going to say that. <laughs> I've obviously said it, and now they're saying it. it but. We really do pass on, you know, to our children yeah. the next thing. And we've got to go back to the family and start to model godly behavior, commitment in the marriage. And we've got to encourage marriage and we've got to encourage family. and We've got to encourage these things in this community and in this culture that we're in. You know, one of the things that we've been walking through the book of Genesis at church and got to the very end, and you've got Jacob, who had been a deceiver, uh, deceived Esau out of the birthright. I mean, his whole life was deception. Mm-hmm. Stopping short when he said he was going to go to Bethel, and he right. doesn't go to Bethel. Right. I mean, so many ways that that Jacob has deceived. And in Genesis forty-nine, he's going through. And blessing and yet cursing his kids at the same time. And every last time you see an imperfect twelve children that followed the pattern of their father. And it's only by God's grace that Judah changes. Yep. And even in, you know, what Genesis 46 tells his father, I will go dad. Mm -hmm. And if Benjamin doesn't come back, my life will be in your hands. Mm -hmm. It's only by God's grace that we see this rearranged. It's only by the gospel of Christ Jesus that the Lord uses a terrible thing like Joseph being born into slavery in order to be rescued so that the people of God could be rescued and redeemed and ultimately Christ Jesus could come. That being said, We have got to start seeing the gospel is not just the power of salvation, but it's the power of reconciliation and redemption and restoration. And we've got to preach the gospel in these situations. Our churches have got to get engaged and involved, and we have to adopt the vulnerable and vulnerable families in order that we can see abortion truly be exonerated, not because we won political battles, not because we got to the legislature and passed pro-life legislation, but because we are restoring and reconciling the idea of the Imago Day, mm-hmm. we're restoring and we're reconciling the idea that family is important. Moms and dads are important. And we're modeling that to our children and to our children's children. And we're modeling that to the greater community and culture.
1: Yeah. And, man, I you know, like how many stories... I was just sitting here as you were as you were even saying that, thinking about just practically how many stories have we heard over the years, particularly as we've been engaged in family reconciliation ministry, where people who are who are coming (laughs) under the influence of the gospel, part of also what's important is is them coming close to families that are good examples for them. Yeah. You know, like like watching people watching their mentors have a disagreement.
0: That's and, how, yeah. and, You know, like, you one. know,
1: the story, like yeah. that's, that's, that's probably my favorite story to tell, but, but like literally saying, Hey, I've, n- I've never seen anybody have, have a disagreement in their relationship and not break up and go their separate ways. Right. And, and I don't believe that can happen. Mm-hmm. And watching what, like watching their mentors just, dis- you know, have a. Have a disagreement. That's work right. through it. That's and, right. And just, you know, this sweet story of this young lady who's sitting there on the couch and she's just bawling because she's like, I didn't like I didn't think this even existed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean we're perfect. And I think also... We we sometimes don't talk about these things in the church because because we're full of brokenness in the church. And and so we look at our own lives and we look at our own messes and and we say, hey, we're not qualified mm-hmm. to talk about any of this stuff because because we like we're we bear the marks of our own brokenness. And that's like that's part of the story. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're leaning in and striving and, and we're, we're living for that thing that we can't do, but Christ can. And he, and he, he is our covering. He is our portion. He is, he is enough when we're not enough, but it doesn't mean that we don't. We don't strive, and I think a lot of a lot of people that find themselves in vulnerable situations, the reason that they need to be close to the church is because they need to see us living and, and struggling in our pursuit of holiness.
0: Yeah, crude analogy to end us today on that point that I hope gives hope even to our pro life engagement. So. Emily, my daughter, who you know and love. (laughs) Um, And she's 13, but she still just has this. If you're familiar with the Enneagram, she's a seven party all the time. (laughs) She loves to have fun. And she and my wife, Ashley, were at Walmart and she talked Ashley into getting, yes, a 13 year old, a kiddie pool um, for 10 bucks that she could lounge in the water (laughs) in the backyard. (laughs) And so Emily got this kiddie pool. She loved it. It's one of those old school plastic ones. Love it. So she was emptying it out, playing with her puppy and emptying it out. And Bear, our dog, decided to take a big old chunk out of the side of her brand new $10 plastic, you know, swimming pool. So I get home that night and she was all distraught because she was actually going to use it the next day. And I went and I did something. You're never going to believe it. I patched it up. And I showed her how... The patch would actually help us keep the water in. And she's been able to enjoy her plastic swimming pool in the backyard with a patch. Love it. The point being, to what you're saying, we're all broken cisterns with brokenness. The difference between the believer that comes in is we say, hey, we're broken and we're leaking water just like you're leaking water. But we know what the patch is. And the patch isn't temporary that's going to also come off. The patch is whole. And the reason that we're whole is because we've got the gospel of Christ Jesus. And it's the only thing that can make us whole. And actually, the thing is, and you know my daughter well enough, she's told people about her pool and she says, my daddy fixed it for me. (laughs) When we go around and saying, hey, I'm a broken person, but my daddy has fixed it for me. We're actually showing the world a better ethic than if we were whole and perfect. Mm -hmm. When we can say we're broken we may not be broken in the same way that you are, but we're just as broken. But we know our daddy can help fix it. Mm. And that's what will break cycles. And so, in a post row world, thank the Lord we're living in a post row world, we can't stop advocating for life. We've got to advocate for all life that's broken to say, hey, that's a life our daddy can fix. And when we do that, we're showing the world that we aren't just anti-abortion, but we're absolutely pro life. And so beloved, we would love for you to connect with us because we need more churches. We need more donors. We need more families. We need more people to get engaged in a ministry that's about saying we are the people that were broken, but been patched up by the gospel of Christ Jesus. And so we go and we take that message and we take that gospel because that's the gospel that has hope. And that's the gospel that brings life. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Pipe.